And so um, after I finish speaking, um, we'll all say, um, this is the word of the Lord. I'll say this is the word of the Lord and we'll all respond together. Thanks be to God. So let us um, settle our hearts um, and hear the Lord speak to us this morning through Luke chapter 8, 22 to 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they, were, and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? This is the word of the Lord. So I'm just going to pray. Lord, thank you that um, you have authority over everything, that even the wind and the waves obey you. And help us to um, remember that regardless of what's going on in the world at the minute, that you are still in control over everything. Um, thank you for those getting baptized this morning. Um, I just pray that you'll help them grow in their faith and their love for you. Um, and I just pray for Andrew as he comes up to speak to us, and that you'll bless him and lead him through his teaching. Still our um, hearts and our minds, um, and open them to hear what you have to say, us, um, say to us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, it's good to see you all here this morning, especially if you are uh, visiting with us. I know some of you are here just because you're uh, supporting those who are getting baptized, and, and we're so glad you're here. Um, if you are new or visiting, we, uh, what we do here in Village is we kind of just work our way through books of the Bible, which may be uncommon to you, or it may be very common to you, I don't know. Um, and we've been looking at, we've been in Luke's Gospel for a long time, it feels like, and we're just about halfway through. Um, this is going to be our last Sunday in Luke for a while. Um, we're going to take a break over the summer months, and we're going to be studying the Psalms, and then we've got other series to, in the autumn time, and so we'll come back to do the second half of Luke uh, next year, 2023. Feels like a long way away, but it will uh, fly in. So where are we? Where, where have we got up to in the book? At this point, um, Luke uh, kind of has a, a wee bit of a shift in focus. So the things we've been looking at up to this point really have been uh, the, the teaching of Jesus. So what has Jesus been saying? The last few chapters, Luke has been highlighting what Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God and teaches about life and teaches about uh, need for salvation and all these different things. And, and now he begins to shift his focus um, in the same way as like when you're watching a movie and, and, and a film director can, can grab your attention. Uh, just by the tone or the colors or the speed or whatever it may be, Luke changes his focus here to focus more and more on the actions of Jesus. So uh, in this passage that we just read, and in the passage, uh, the rest of chapter 8, the passage that are to follow, we get a clear picture given to us of the power of Jesus. And, and in chapter 8, Luke leaves us with no doubt that Jesus has power over absolutely everything. So over the natural world, over the spiritual realm, over the sickness, human life, you name it, Jesus has ultimate power and authority. So that's what I want us to bear in mind as we uh, look at this passage today. Uh, keep in mind the power of Jesus as we get into this passage. Our last 
time in Luke's gospel for, for a number of months. So let me pray for us again and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is uh, living and active. We want you to speak to us this morning. Uh, we pray that it would uh, just come to our ears as refreshment, as goodness. Um, we pray that you would challenge us in all the right ways so that we would be changed to love and trust in Christ more. In his name we ask. Amen. Uh, this week, uh, as I was thinking about this parable, I was thinking about all the, well, maybe not all, but a lot of the things, the embarrassing things I've done in my life, right? So do you ever have, do you have things in your life that you look back and the very memory of them makes you kind of cringe, you know, turn away? Um, and you know, you all know me, most of you know me, my life is full of stuff like that, stuff that I wish I just hadn't said or hadn't done. I remember one time when I was a student, a long time ago, when I was about 19, um, I was in a lecture, and this was a guest lecturer. Uh, he was one of the, he was very well respected in his field, uh, and, and looking back now, I can see that he actually deserved a lot of respect for the things he had done and the things he had achieved in his career. Um, Anyway, at the end of the lecture, he said that thing that teachers often say when they're asking you if you have any questions. They say, there's, there's no such thing as a stupid question, right? Teachers like to say that. Well, I proved him wrong that day because it turns out there is such thing as a stupid question. Um, I'm not really sure why I did this, and I can't believe I'm about to say it publicly. It's very weird. Um, this very scientist, uh, very serious and well-respected scientist said, are there any questions? And I put up my hands and said... Uh, I, you know, with all my friends kind of sniggering, well, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm giving a, he's giving a, a lecture about the properties of thermodynamics or something, I can't remember, but, uh, you know, that is a stupid question. I proved him wrong. Um, I could have asked him anything to do with my course, anything to do with something that would have helped me in my studies. I could have even asked him for life wisdom, and it would have been better than that. I squandered my chance, and he just gave me a dirty look and moved on to the next person. Now, I don't know why I did that. Maybe it was to, you know, impress my friends or, or, or uh, prove that there is such a thing as a stupid question. Um, but my point is that in life, some questions are more important than others, aren't they? In fact, asking the right questions is really important. At some point, all of us have to ask ourselves, for example, what we truly value in life. What is important to you in life? What values are you going to live by? Some of us are going to ask, is this really the person I want to spend the rest of my life with? Some of us are going to ask, is this really the career path that I want to follow? And these things are important and good questions to ask, but they're not as important as the two questions that are asked in this passage this morning. One is asked by Jesus and the other is asked by the disciples. Jesus asks, where is your faith? And the disciples ask, who then is this? Two questions, and particularly the second one. These are the most important questions that any of us can ask. You see, what we think about Jesus determines what we think about all of reality, okay? Now, maybe you don't think that's the case, but hopefully we'll see that over the course of, of the next few minutes. What we think about who Jesus really is determines how we see life, how we see death, how we see the universe, how we see what happens after you die, all these things, and, and we must ask the right questions. And, and when we look at this passage and, and wrestle with these questions, here's what we're going to see. I'm going to give you the, the ending before the end, okay? This is a spoiler. What we see is that Jesus is Lord of all, and so we must put our faith in Him. And when we ask, like, where is your faith? We must put our faith in Jesus. Who is this man? Jesus is Lord of all. It's that simple. 
I'm giving you the end before we even get into it, but if you, if you don't hear another word I say, and I hope you do, but if you don't take anything else away from this this morning, take this away. Jesus is Lord of all, and so we can and must put our trust in Him, put our faith in Him. Jesus is master of all the world, and so we can trust Him when we feel like we're drowning. Jesus is Lord of all creation, so we can trust Him in every storm we face. Jesus has all power and all authority, and so we must trust Him if we are to be saved eternally. Luke tells us, Luke, who uh, is, was a doctor and a scientist himself and a historian, he's writing this account of Jesus' life, and he tells us that one day, Jesus got into a boat with His disciples on the Sea of Galilee and, and went to go to the other side of the lake. Now, um, there are four Gospels in the, in, in the Bible, and, and often uh, there's three of them, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, who, who kind of work together, and they, 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 they take stuff from each other. And, and Mark, when he records this story, he tells us that it happens at the end of a day. It's at the evening time. It's a busy day of teaching and healing and preaching for Jesus. He's been with people, and so he's clearly, I think, going to the other side of the lake to, to get some rest. He needs time to recover. And you know, even though this story, I think, demonstrates the awesome power of Jesus, I think it just highlights his humanity in so many ways. He's going off to get some downtime on the other side of the lake. Now, you can imagine how peaceful this would have been. It's the end of a long day. Jesus has been given of himself all day. Um, he's been confronted a time or two by his enemies, people who want to see him done away with. And so as the shadows lengthen and the sun begins to go down, Jesus climbs onto the boat, and his disciples push off, and he goes and he lies down at the, the, on the wooden bench at the back of the boat, and as the boat rocks, and you've all been on boats, I'm sure, and you can hear the water lapping against the side, and he drifts off to sleep, and it's not long before he is fast asleep. And here we have, I think, one of the most relatable pictures of the incarnation, the, the humanness of Jesus. Because in a minute, he's going to rebuke and calm a storm with all the power of heaven, but for now, he is asleep in a weary human body. Jesus is fully human, and, and in this moment, he does the most human thing in the world. He falls asleep, and you know he must have been knackered, right? Like, we don't think about that often, but Jesus got tired because these old boats weren't made for comfort. This is probably a, a, a small fishing boat, probably about 20 feet long, not very wide, and he's probably sleeping on hard wooden boards, but he's so tired it doesn't matter. Last week, I, was, uh, I flew back from, from D.C. overnight. It's a horrible flight. You take it overnight, and you don't sleep in the plane. And then coming up from Dublin Airport to Belfast in the bus, like, I was so tired that even, like, you know, you're asleep in an awkward position with the, arm of the, with the armrest of the bus on your back, but it feels so comfortable because you're so tired. Jesus, I think, was this tired, and he's asleep in the boat. And then all of a sudden, this peaceful calm is disturbed by an onslaught of stormy weather. Verse 23 tells us it's a windstorm came down on the lake, literally translates as a hurricane of wind. Now, according to the experts, and I'm not an expert, um, it's not uncommon for this kind of violent storm to just suddenly appear on the, the Sea of Galilee. The winds come in off the Mediterranean Sea, and they're funneled down through the mountains along the edge of the lake, and they drop in temperature and pick up speed, and before you know it, the whole lake can be in turmoil. And so the disciples find themselves in the middle of a lake in a hurricane in a small boat that is filling up with water, and they are convinced they're going to die. This is what they say, we are perishing. We're drowning. We're going to drown. 
But in their terror and misery, the disciples had no idea that this storm was divinely appointed. God had sent this storm into their lives to teach them an incredible lesson about who Jesus is, who this man Jesus is. And there's a biblical principle at work here. You see, storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace. Let me say that again. Storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace. Without difficulties and trials, we would never really learn who Jesus is. We would never really grow in our faith. In fact, without difficulties and trials, what happens is that we tend to become more self-reliant and more self-focused. And God sends difficulties and suffering and trials into the lives of His children so that we will grow in understanding of His power, of His goodness, and His faithfulness. And so if you're a Christian then the storms in your life, whatever they may be, are divinely appointed so that God can show you more of His incredible love for you. If you're going through difficulty like illness or even grief or loneliness or mental ill health or depression or whatever it may be, then God is at work in your life. This is a, a gospel principle. It's, it's, it's through suffering that we became Christians in the first place. Not, not our own suffering, but Jesus goes through suffering so that we could know God. This is partly what baptism represents, and we're going to talk about this later on. As we get ready to baptize three people this morning, we can think about this. You see, as believers, we go through the waters of baptism to represent that we have joined with Christ as He has gone through God's judgment on our behalf. We are joined with Him. We're, we're, we, we go through the waters of judgment, and then we come out the other side with Him to live in glorious new life. Storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace. But as is so natural when we're in the middle of the storm, the disciples can't see that God has sent this storm. All they can see, and I think I'd 100% be the same, I remember, uh, and Tim, Tim was with me on this, and a few of us were sailing back from the island of Isla off the coast of Scotland towards Ballycastle, and we came out of the harbor, and none of us were sailors. Well, the guy who was sailing the boat was, but he was the only one. And uh, all of a sudden, the boat just like went like that on its side, and there, there was literally water coming in, and I mean, we definitely thought we were going to drown. Davy, who was driving the boat, he seemed to be happy enough, so you kind of have to trust that. But it's terrifying, terrifying. And all these disciples can see is the boat is filling with water. It's going up and down, and they think, oh, we're going to drown. And Jesus is still asleep. Now, maybe you're thinking, how can he sleep during a storm? How, if it's really this violent where they, the boat's filling with water and they think they're going to drown, how could he stay asleep? And we've already established that he's probably exhausted, but I think there is another element to this. You see, Jesus can sleep in the storm because he is completely trusting in God the Father. Jesus trusts that, that God's salvation plans will not be ruined by a storm. Salvation won't come if Jesus goes down with the boat and ends up on the bottom of a lake. And so Jesus is resting in the will of the Father, and so even this storm can't wake him up. Now, to the disciples, it looks like Jesus has fell asleep at the wheel. Like, it looks like he's taken his eye off the ball. Um, they've already seen Jesus do incredible things. They're starting to believe a little bit that he's the Messiah. But in this moment, and I think this is so relatable, we can all relate to this, they doubt. They maybe forget all the things they've heard him say or seen him do. And this is just what we do when the storms come in our lives, isn't it? The temptation 
is to think that Jesus is sleeping. We think that he's forgotten about us. Maybe you feel, well, God has forgotten about us. Maybe you think, well, God's too busy or too tired for me. Maybe you're in the middle of a real storm in your life right now. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a relationship that's fallen apart. Maybe it's an illness that you, you struggle with on a daily basis. And it feels like the, the water is coming over the sides. The, the, the sky is dark and stormy. You think you're going to drown. Well, here's what I want you to notice. Where is Jesus in this story? Jesus is in the boat with them in the middle of the storm. He's not off on the shore, kind of watching from afar. He's, he's in the boat. He's in the same danger with them. Jesus voluntarily put himself in the boat with his disciples in a storm. And by lowering himself, God the Son came to earth, took on humanity, and put himself in the boat in the middle of the storm with you. He took on flesh to join us in the boat of human existence. And even when it seems that God has forgotten about you, or that he's too tired for you, or that he's too busy for you, all we have to do is turn around and see that Jesus is in the boat with us. And when God sends the storms uh, into the lives of his children, he doesn't expect us to sail through them on our own. In fact, we are never alone. The last words that Jesus spoke to his, his followers, his disciples, before he ascended to heaven, after his resurrection, in Matthew 28, he says to them, I am with you always to the end of the world, to the end of the age. That means to the end of the world till he comes back again. I am with you always. So in every situation, no matter how desperate it feels, you are never alone. If you are a Christian this morning, you are never alone. And I want us to hear this this morning. If you're struggling, if you're tempted to give up, you are not God forsaken. God has not abandoned you. A friend of mine wrote a song recently, and he has this line that's been in my head for the last few weeks. It says, he does not abandon those he has ransomed. And if you're a Christian this morning, that's you. Just turn around and find that Jesus is right there with you in the boat in the middle of the storm. Jesus is Lord of all, so we can just simply put our faith in him. Now, as much as this storm was necessary for the disciples to grow in their understanding of Jesus and in their faith, so was the calm that he was about to bring. The disciples are in danger. It's a real danger, at least from their perspective. And they realize their danger, and they do that what we should all do when we realize our need. They go to Jesus. Now, this is how anyone comes to faith in Christ, isn't it? We recognize that we are in danger, that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, and so we turn to Jesus to save us. And if you're here this morning and you're, and you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here, you're welcome, then this is the invitation that extended to you. We realize our need of salvation, and we turn to Jesus, the only one who can save, and we say, like the disciples said, Master, we are perishing. And put our trust in Jesus to save us. And this is also what we as Christians should do in the storms of our lives. In the times of danger, we turn to Jesus for help and salvation. The boat is filling up with water. The disciples think they're going to drown. And they do what the storm didn't do. They woke Jesus up. Now, I think it's interesting here. It's interesting to me that the storm didn't disturb Jesus. But the unbelief and the doubt and the danger of his disciples did. 
You see, even though Jesus is with us in the boat in the middle of the storm, He's not really too, He's not worried by the waves crashing over the side. He's not disturbed by the, the high winds. Jesus responds not to the danger, but to His disciples coming to Him for rescue and salvation. This could be the worst storm in the world, and Jesus would still be soundly asleep because nothing can overpower Him. But when His disciples call on Him, He responds. I think there's just so much comfort in that. And He removes the danger, and He replaces it with calm. Listen to what actually happens. This is verse 24. Uh, and they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Uh, Mark's account again tells us that, that Jesus literally tells the storm to be quiet. He gets up and he says, be quiet. It's actually more like he puts a muzzle on it. Be quiet. And when he rebukes the storm, it's not like he's scolding it or telling it off, right? You know, I rebuke my children, or maybe Haley rebukes me. Um, it's not really what's happening here. It's simply Jesus, by the word of His power, uh, putting the storm into its place, putting things in the right order, with Him in command and everything else obeying. The same language is used in, in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus rebukes an unclean spirit, and He rebukes a fever in Peter's mother-in-law. You might remember when we looked at those stories. And so, it would appear that anything natural or supernatural that is against God's children is a candidate for being rebuked by Jesus. When, when Jesus sees threats coming against the people He loves, He responds in rebuke. You see, everything is subject to the power and authority of Jesus. Even the wind and the waves obey Him. And when Jesus tells the storm to stop, it stops. He's not performing some magic incantation. He's not, uh, this isn't some epic battle between good and evil. It's not like in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is fighting the demon and he's standing there. He says, you shall not pass. This is not what's happening. This is simply Jesus speaking and the storm obeys. This power over nature that Jesus has, he, he simply speaks he calmly says a word, and nature obeys. And immediately, there is calm. And this is where we come to the first question that I mentioned earlier. As soon as this, the, he has calmed the storm, he turns then to his disciples, and he says to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Now, I'll be honest with you. When I first read this, I kind of thought to myself, well, Jesus, that seems a wee bit harsh. <laughs> you know, I mean, the danger was real as far as they were concerned, after all. The disciples, I don't think, were wrong to recognize that a dangerous storm is dangerous, okay? The reality was that the boat was filling with water, and as far as they could tell, they were going to drown. Uh, their mistake wasn't to recognize danger for danger. Their mistake was to think that Jesus wouldn't care for them. Danger is danger, but they didn't think that Jesus would see them through it or save them from it. And you see, these guys had already seen Jesus' awesome power and authority at work, right? They had been present for the miraculous catch of fish. That's how Peter and James and Andrew actually came to be disciples. They got a miraculous catch of fish. 
They were there when Jesus rescued the widow's son from the clutches of death. They listened to the conversation, just the last chapter, between Jesus and John's messengers, and they heard that he was the chosen one of God. And they had seen that claim backed up by, by the strength of many miracles. They had seen all this and heard all this, and still they doubted that God would save them. Now, there's nothing wrong with being afraid of real danger. But knowing what they knew of God, they should have known that God's plan of salvation wasn't about to end with a storm in a lake. And so Jesus rightly asked them, where is your faith? It's not harsh or angry for Jesus to ask them. It's like he sent them, why are you despairing? Do you not remember who I am? Do you not remember all we've been through? Look back. And if Jesus, I think, can ask that of his disciples here, then how much more can he ask that of us? You see, these disciples hadn't yet seen Jesus raised from the dead, but we have, haven't we? The Jesus we know walked out of his grave and ascended to heaven, and, and still we doubt him, don't we? In fact, we don't just doubt him. I'm talking about myself here. I'm surprised when he does good for us. We're always surprised that He wants to do good for us. I do this all the time. As soon as things start to go wrong or any hint of hardship comes along, what do we do? We, we forget that Jesus is in control. We say, God, where are you? We forget that He is in control, that He's in the storm with us, and that He has ultimate power over the worst storms that we can ever face. And so maybe this morning… We need to allow Jesus to gently ask us again the way he asked the disciples, where is your faith? You see, there's a lesson to be learned in here, I think. And the lesson is this. The solution to fear is not courage, it's faith. The solution to fear is not courage, it's faith. Jesus didn't wake up and see the storm and go, all right, well, let's get it together, guys. Here's a motivational speech. Come on, we can do this. Peter, you do this. John, you do this. Andrew, you do this. We'll get through this together. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell him to be encouraged. No. In the middle of the storm, Jesus displays his awesome power over the storm so that the disciples will have rightly placed faith. And so the solution to, to fear is not to have more courage. It's faith. Because these guys, I, I mean, especially Peter, James, and Andrew, who were fishermen, who fished on the Sea of Galilee, and it's not a big lake. Well, I mean, it's big, but it's not huge. It's 20 miles long and 7 miles wide, something like that, at its widest. And, and, and they would have known every inch of this sea. These were strong, hard, tough, courageous people. They, they, they knew these waters. They could have had all the courage in the world, but courage won't stop the storm. The solution to fear is not courage, it's faith. And when our faith is rightly placed in the one who is above all and over all and never leaves us, then we will have no more reason to fear. When you're going through something so hard and so catastrophic that it can make you feel like the bottom has collapsed out of your world, maybe you know how that feels. You can put your faith in Jesus and know that He is the one who has power to speak to the storm and make it stop. All the courage in the world won't get you through. Putting courage is just simply trying to put faith in yourself, isn't it? But rightly placed fear in Jesus is what gets us through. God's plans can't be ruined by a storm in a lake. So let Jesus ask us again this morning, where is your faith? Now, I want to be clear that this doesn't mean that we won't ever suffer. 
It doesn't even mean that, that things won't kill us. Loads of Christians die. Remember that God actually allowed the disciples to go through the storm. We're never promised a life free from suffering. Uh, that's not what this story is telling us. Psalm 23, a very famous psalm. Maybe if you're not even a Christian, you'll know this psalm. It says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Now, it doesn't say that I never walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you're with me. That's, it says when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. It reminds us that when we do walk through that valley, that we are not walking alone. Psalm 56 likewise says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And in life, we're going to face plenty of things that will make us afraid. But when we are afraid, we need to ask, where is my faith? When we are afraid, we put our trust in Jesus. And so this story isn't telling us that we won't ever have storms. But what it demonstrates is that Jesus is Lord over all the natural forces in the world and that nothing happens by accident, and that no force in all creation can destroy His plans for our eternal salvation or separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 8, another book in the Bible written by a man called the Apostle Paul. It says this, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but give him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And he goes on to say in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or a storm in a lake or relationship breaking up or marriage troubles or, a children, or, or, or children are or, or struggling or an illness or cancer or COVID or whatever it may be, no, he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, not through our courage, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if God is for us, and if you're a Christian this morning, God is for you fully, finally, eternally, then who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son? So you want to know how much God is for you? He sacrificed his own son to save you. That's how much he is for you. So what in the world can ever separate us from him? Nothing. And so even, I take so much comfort from this because even when the, the waves are crashing over the side of the boat and it feels like you're about to drown, nothing, nothing can ever separate you from His love. Church, God is for you. Jesus has saved you. And so ultimately, no harm can come to you. And this is not some kind of prosperity gospel. Life will not always be easy. In fact, Jesus promises us that as we follow him, we will have trouble in this life. But Jesus has authority over the trouble. He has authority over the worst storms, and he is with us in the storm, and nothing can ever ruin his plans to bring you fully and completely into his presence. I feel like somebody should say amen or something. So let's hear Jesus gently asking us this morning this question, where's your faith? He's saying, put your faith in me because I am Lord over every storm. Put your faith in me. And then it's the disciples' turn to ask a question. 
This is the second question we mentioned before. They ask, who then is this? Listen to what happens in verse 25. It says, and they were afraid. Now, they were afraid after Jesus has commanded the storm. And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Now, what would you expect the disciples' reaction to be to what just happened? I don't think I would expect them to, to react this way. Just, you might have seen this in the news. Just a couple of weeks ago in India, there was an 11-year-old boy. He, was, he fell down a 24-meter deep well, about 80 feet, and uh, he was there for 100 days, stuck underground for 100 days. And rescue workers and engineers came in, and they, they built a tunnel and finally got him out. Uh, and when they pulled him out, he was still alive, and everyone was... He, he was totally fine, by the way. <laughs> they were able to pass him food and water and stuff. Uh, um, but, but when they pulled him out, they pulled him out of his worst nightmare. The celebration, his parents, everyone was cheering and crying and laughing and rejoicing. And I would have expected if Jesus had done something like this, that that would be the reaction the disciples would have. You'd expect them to be thanking Jesus and hugging him and rejoicing and saying, man, I can't believe that happened. Isn't this incredible? Instead, they are afraid and they marveled and they ask who Jesus is. You see, I think what's going on here is that suddenly they realize they are in the presence of something that is more terrifying than the violence of a storm. Now they look at Jesus in a way they hadn't seen him before, and they say to themselves, who is this man? What kind of person is, is this? He's in a class of his own. There's nobody else like this. No human being could ever speak to the wind and, and, and make it behave or, or calm a storm, he see, just by the power of his voice. The disciples have just received their biggest lesson so far about who Jesus is, and they find themselves in the presence of the holy. They were in the presence of the one who is not like anyone else. Jesus is other. Jesus is different. He is higher. You see, what Jesus has just done is demonstrate that He is God. The disciples knew their Old Testament the same Old Testament we have. And, and they knew the Psalms that taught that Jesus rules the sea. Listen to what Psalm 107 says. It says, They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men that were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Listen to this. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. 800 years before Jesus was even born. Psalm 65 says that, that, that God is, is the one who stills the roaring of the sea. Psalm 89 verse 9 says that God rules the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You see, the disciples knew these scriptures and suddenly realized that, well, if God is the one who can command the sea to be still, and Jesus has just done this very thing, then it means that Jesus must be God. There is no other logical explanation. Jesus is God. This is why in the creed we say that we believe in three, a God who is three in one. Jesus is God. With a simple word, Jesus calmed the sea because He is the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. And so, of course, they're filled with fear and wonder because fear and wonder is the only response to standing face to face with the creator God. What else can we do? Yes, they're filled with holy fear, and they should have been, because here is Jesus, God Almighty in human flesh, the, the, the Holy One of Israel, the one from whom even the demons of hell flee in terror. 
And in this moment, the disciples ask the right question, who is this man? And that's the right question to ask, isn't it? This is the question that we all have to ask ourselves. We all have to reckon within ourselves, who is Jesus? Now, this doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years or you've never been a Christian or you think it's totally irrelevant to you. We all at some point have to reckon with, who is Jesus? Is he just some important historic figure? Is he just a kind of interesting teacher who had some interesting things to say? Is he absolutely crazy? Or is he more than this? Is he actually who he says he is and who the Bible says he is? You see, there is only one who can control the wind and the waves and the sea. We are to recognize that this man, Jesus, is Almighty God. Who can control the wind and the waves and the sea? God can. And here in Jesus, we have the So what is our answer to this question? How are you going to answer this question? Who is this man? When we see Jesus for who he is, how do we respond? Do we worship him as God? Are we filled with uh, awe and wonder, just like the disciples? And here's the amazing thing that I want to finish with. I'm not pausing for effect. I just need a drink. The amazing thing is, Jesus calmed the sea for the 12. But what he has done for us is far, far greater. Jesus took on the storm of God's wrath on our behalf when he died on the cross. And, and, and the ultimate display of his, of his power over nature is his resurrection from the dead. So the cross when Jesus died, is the ultimate display that that God is with us in every storm. And the resurrection is the ultimate display that He has power over every force that comes against us. When you're certain that you're about to drown, what do we do? We look to the cross again, don't we? We look to the cross and see that that, that Jesus is in the storm with us and that he has conquered the storm in his resurrection. There is now nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God and nothing that can ruin his salvation plans for us. God will bring us through every storm. And so we look to the cross and we ask ourselves, who is this man? Almighty God, that there is nothing that is not under his power and that he will never abandon his children. God will never abandon you. Jesus is Lord of all, and so if we are to be saved eternally, we must put our faith in him. Now, what's happening here in this, in this story? This is a little picture. This is looking forward to the cross, isn't it? This is Jesus going through waters of judgment, a stormy sea, It's the disciples who are in need and realize that they're going to perish, crying out to him and saying, Master, we're perishing. The the invitation is to realize that we are in dire need. We're in dire need of salvation. And just turn to Jesus and say, Master, we're perishing. Save me. And he has promised that he will. Jesus is Lord of all. And so we can put our faith in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you are with us in this place. We pray, Lord, that as we have heard you speak to us this morning, that we would respond with faithful hearts. Father, I pray for...
a storm. Maybe someone who is at that point where they just feel like, I'm going to drown. Father, I pray that you would comfort them by your Holy Spirit now, knowing that, let them know, Lord, that you're in the storm with them, that you're powerful over every force that's against us. And Father, for anyone who has, doesn't know you yet, Father, I just pray that this would be a moment when they respond to you, realize that all we have to do is just say, Jesus, we're perishing. Help me. Uh, Father, we pray for salvation 